This morning we continue the series that we've been in for the last several weeks now, 40, looking at different narratives, different biblical accounts, where the number 40 is used for a time frame. 40 days, most of the time. Last week it was 40 years. We've talked about the temptation of Jesus. We've talked about how Moses was up on the mountain, on Mount Sinai, in the presence of God, receiving the law and the instruction for 40 days. How the people of God wandered the wilderness for 40 years, and today we visit Nineveh, where they're given 40 days in Jonah's sermon. A really brief sermon, just a few words. Don't get your hopes up. There's a scene in the movie, it's a rather old movie now, uh, John Candy and Steve Martin, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Any big fans? Not too many. <laughs> Funny movie, though. So there's this scene, and I've used it before, actually, because it's so striking. John Candy and Steve Martin are trying to get from somewhere. They're stuck. I forget, actually, where they are, but they're trying to get to uh, where home is. And so it's necessary to make their way. They, they try flying. They try riding the train. They end up driving, renting a car, I think, together. And so they're, they're driving, it's late, they're going down the freeway and they look over and there's somebody just waving at them and they're like, oh, hey, how you doing? And the person tells them, you're going the wrong way. When they finally put the window down, it's cold, they're in the, like, they're somewhere near Chicago, I think. And it's winter time, it's like Christmas, so it's cold, they don't want to put the window down, they finally do, you're going the wrong way. The best part of it is, and I forget which one says this. How does he know where we're going? Is the response. You're going the wrong way. Sometimes we find ourselves in life going the wrong way. God called Jonah to go to Nineveh. Jonah 3, verses 1 and 2. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. Notice here, it says the second time. This is chapter 3. So we back up to the first words of the book in Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. This is part of the story of Jonah that's probably familiar. Jonah gets told to go to Nineveh, and Jonah doesn't want to go. So some, some things happen in the rest of chapter 1 and chapter 2, and here we are in chapter 3, and the word of the Lord comes to Jonah the second time. Jonah, you've gone the wrong way. Arise and go to Nineveh. This is the instruction. This is what you're supposed to do. But as we're aware, Jonah went the other way. He boarded a ship toward Tarshish. There's questions about where Tarshish really is, but for our purposes today, that doesn't so much matter. What matters of it is it wasn't, it wasn't in the direction of Nineveh at all. Nineveh was a land-based destination, and Jonah got on a ship. Ships don't cross land. He was definitely going at least out of the way, if not 180 degrees, the wrong way. 
And Nineveh needed the prophet's message, and the reason that they did is because they were going the wrong way. Call out against the city for their evil, for their sin, for their reputation. Nineveh was a city that was large. We learn at the end of chapter 4 that there's 120,000 people in Nineveh, which is not a small city in the ancient world. That's, that's a big place. It was a great city, the capital of Assyria at one point, with palaces and gardens and irrigation and aqueducts, parks. Sounds like a really nice place, but there was evil. Here in Jonah, Jonah is supposed to go and call out against the city. And if we turn to the book of Nahum, that prophet speaks an oracle against Nineveh, speaks about the wrath of God against that city. There were temples to gods and goddesses, but not to God. Not to Yahweh, the God of the Bible, the God whom we know, the God who, whom the Jews followed and the God that deserves all of our worship and praise, the creator of the universe. That God was not worshipped in Nineveh. It's foreign land, Nineveh. It's enemy territory. They needed the word of God. They needed, they needed the warning. And that was what Jonah was sent to do. And we can look at Jonah and think, well, how could he possibly do that? The word of the Lord came to Jonah, go and do this. If the almighty God, the king of the universe, comes and tells you to do something, and you do something different, well, shame on you, Jonah. But how often do we try to go our own way? And maybe the word of the Lord doesn't come to us in the way that it came to Jonah. Right? It doesn't, God doesn't visit me in that same way. At least I don't think so. It doesn't really tell us what that was like, what that maybe sounded like, or what that felt like, or what that experience was like for Jonah. The, the book doesn't describe that interaction. Only that the word of the Lord came to Jonah, and here a second time. Get up and go. How often... Do we understand the word of the Lord, but yet we try to go our own way? Burger King has used a slogan off and on for a long, long time, have it your way. That taps into our American individualism, our human individualism, in fact. We want to have it our own way. We want to go our own way. We want to be in control of our lives. We want to steer the ship. We want to choose our path. We want to make our own decisions. Life is like that. Last week we talked about wandering. And why did the people wander? Well, because they rebelled. They rebelled against God. They rebelled against his instruction and his direction. And they lived in the fear of the people who were in the land. Sometimes we know and yet we don't go. That was part of last week's message. It's our human condition. Everyone sins. We're distracted, we're tempted, we willfully go where we shouldn't. And we need to turn around. We need to turn around. 
Hear the call to repentance. Sometimes we learn the hard way, right? Like Jonah did. Jonah learned this lesson the hard way here in this scene, right? He's, he's on the ship going the wrong way. And what happens? This huge storm comes up, this tempest. And he's down inside the ship just hanging out while the sailors are in a fit of panic. And they find him there. And if you haven't read through Jonah chapter 1, <clears throat> it's, it's pretty fascinating. We studied it a few years ago in the Bible class. And, and what we talked about was here's Jonah. The sailors are doing faithful things. And here's the prophet of God doing the unfaithful things. And this irony that fills this book is tremendous. So Jonah's in the, in the heart of the ship, in the belly of the ship, as it were, not paying attention to God. But he recognizes that the storm is his fault. Verse 12 says, Jonah says, I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. He confesses to the sailors. But that seems like it's as far as it goes, at least in that moment. Jonah doesn't say, God... I apologize. God, I will turn this around. God, I'll jump ship and head back the way I'm supposed to go. Instead, he tells the other sailors, throw me overboard because this is my fault. Well, in chapter 2, after they throw him overboard, Jonah does seem to have at least some kind of contrition. Some, well, he prays to God. And in the prayer, it's words like Sheol, and you brought me back. There's death and resurrection involved in Jonah's prayer in chapter 2. However it works, he ends up here in chapter 3, told, go to Nineveh, and he finally does it. Nineveh listened to Jonah. So the call to repentance comes to Nineveh through Jonah finally getting there. And they hear that. Because Jonah began to go into the city. This is in verse 4 of chapter 3. Going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. The word that's there, overthrown, can be translated changed or turned. Overthrown sounds like a word of destruction, and, and that's good to have that in mind because of what we learn a bit later, and because the people respond to it. If somebody just showed up and said, you know, locally, 40 days in San Jose will be transformed, will be changed, I don't know how seriously we would take that. Probably not very seriously, right? But this word overthrown, or, uh, overthrown gives us the idea of destruction, the idea of judgment. And the people take the warning. There's 40 days advance notice until, well, destruction or some kind of transformation is going to take place. You ever had a warning, a sign, an indication that there was something wrong? How seriously do you take it? Maybe it depends on what that warning looks like. 
How many have had a dash light come on in the vehicle? You just keep driving. Check engine. Why? I know it's still there. What does that even mean? Check engine. How many am I supposed to check the engine? What, open the hood? Yep. There's an engine. Close the hood, drive on. Okay, eventually you check it, right? You take it to a place that can really check it with the little thing that they plug into the place and whatever. But the day that that light comes on, I don't know that we go, whoa, I got to check the engine. I'm going to drive to the place where they can check the engine. Like, that's one of those indicator lights that doesn't sound that significant. If it's like oil pressure warning, then we're like, ooh, maybe that's one I need to heed. Or brake system failure <laughs> or something like that. My truck just a few days ago said uh, service brake system. I haven't done that yet. It still stopped. I checked it right away. <laughs> no, okay. I can still stop, so I don't have to worry about going down a hill. This past week on Monday, and if you get the prayer emails, uh, you've already seen this, but uh, my dad was driving, and the warning wasn't an indicator on the dashboard. The warning was a tightness in his chest and a little bit of a pain in his arm. And he was driving in southwest Ohio, and, and he was actually still goes to his office. Um, and he was going toward his house. My older sister was about 15, 20 minutes behind him. She works at his office. And so she would be coming the, the same way. And he didn't stop like it was the low oil warning. He drove on a little while, but started to think about these signs that he was experiencing. And eventually pulled off, made some phone calls. 911 was one of those calls. Not the first one. But the ambulance came and they took him to the hospital. And I'm grateful that my dad pulled over and, and got the help that he needed. It turned out he did have a, a mild heart attack. Um, and so, and that was Monday. Statistically, did you know this? The rate of heart attacks the day after the time change is like 25 or so percent higher. So my dad was among that statistic, strangely. Dear doubt he had a blockage, so it's not, um, you know, without merit that, that that happened. Thankfully, he got the help he needed, and he went to where he could get that help, and he took that warning sign seriously, and he didn't keep driving. And so we're grateful that he did that. How seriously do we take warning signs? How much do we heed the warning that we get? Because we are called to repentance. Maybe you've been confronted, or maybe you've felt the need to confront someone else for the things that they've done that you've been affected by. John the Baptist arrives and says this, The time has come. Repent. And Jesus says, repent, the kingdom is at hand. The Psalms and the prophets call people to repentance again and again. And the law of God shows us our sin and our need for mercy. But it's faith in God that leads us to repentance. It's the belief that God exists. It's the belief that he's there that his law is right, that his, 
his glory and his holiness would would not that he could not tolerate us in our sinfulness it's that faith but it's also faith in his mercy that leads us to repentance it's the kindness of god that leads us to repentance the bible tells us it was belief in god that drove nineveh the people of nineveh believed god this is in verse 5 they believed god they called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. This is kind of rudimentary fasting and sackcloth and repentance, a physical show of a change, of a turn. We believe God, so we're led to confess and repent, and the gospel comes in so that we can rely on the mercy of Christ. See, repentance is a change in direction. We're going the wrong way, and we repent. It's that 180-degree change. It's not just stopping and falling to our knees in a time of confession. That's part of it to confess our sin, to express remorse and regret and sorrow, but it's also redirection, response to God's grace and the renewal of our mind. A reprioritizing of life. The best known part of the book of Jonah is that he gets swallowed by a fish or some kind of aquatic animal. Hebrew language did not have the word whale in it. So was it an air breather and how did he survive and how does this work? And all those questions have been asked again and again. And we don't know. Maybe he actually died because the words in Chapter 2, talk about down to Sheol and brought back from the place where the gates are closed. Maybe it's death and resurrection. Maybe when Jesus refers to the sign of Jonah and talks about the Son of Man will be three days and nights in the heart of the earth like Jonah was in the belly of the fish, maybe Jonah actually died and the word doesn't come out explicitly, but maybe that's what Jesus is talking about, that there's death and resurrection involved. And the sign of Jonah is that one who died is coming back by the power and grace of God to share the message of repentance. Hmm. So do we need to worry about whether, how, and what are all the details of his survival in this belly of this fish? I'm not worried about it. Because that's not what's important in the book of Jonah. What's important is that Jonah carries out his work, and the people of Nineveh hear the message. The fish spits him back out on the land so that Jonah can start in a new direction in the way that he should go. He actually went to Nineveh. He made the turnaround. Nineveh made a turnaround through this time of repentance. Once we turn, then we can go forward in faith. So we go from the wrong way to turn around to moving again. The call to repentance isn't a time to turn around and stop and get stuck and live in fear and worry. Our contrition leads us to turn around, but then we need to move forward again in the right direction, the direction God calls us to go. Nineveh received mercy, verse 10. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do, 
and he did not do it. The Ninevites didn't get what they deserved. Jonah expected the mercy of God. This is more irony in the book of Jonah. He's a prophet of God. He expects mercy for the people of Nineveh, and that's why he didn't go. (laughs) Chapter 4, verse 2, this is what he's saying. I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. That's what I said when I was still in my home country. (sighs) You'd think that a, a prophet of God who fears God, which he says in chapter 1, who understands the grace and mercy and steadfast love of God, which he's talking about in chapter 4, would be excited to share that with the people of Nineveh who needed it. But they were the enemy. That was foreign territory. Maybe they wouldn't listen. How's this going to work? Well, if it does work, then God's going to show them grace, and I'm not exactly sure that I want them to receive grace. So instead of that, he disobeys God and goes the wrong way. God says, go to Nineveh. He goes the wrong way. This is, really, Jonah? So you knew the grace of God and you relied on it to go wherever you wanted. That's not how the grace of God is supposed to work. We're supposed to go the direction God calls us. Jonah further resented God's mercy. He ends up outside the city pouting about God's mercy on them. And the book ends with this question from God. This is how it ends. What happens to Jonah, we don't know. Should I not pity, this is God speaking to Jonah, should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left? Because Jonah gets more concerned with a plant than with 120,000 people. What are we concerned about? Where is our calling that God wants us to carry out? How can we live in the mercy of God? Because that is what we're called to do. To realize the wrong direction, to make the turn, and then to live in the mercy of God. Because we've received peace through knowing God. The grace of God covers our sin. The one who did show the sign of Jonah by spending three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jesus, the Savior, who died on our behalf, who died on our behalf and rose again has this message for you and me. Your sin is forgiven. The grace of God covers us. Not to entitle us to go wherever we choose, but in our life of repentance, living according to the grace of God, to go in the direction he calls us to. We repent, God forgives. And now we can, by his power, rise above our daily struggles and have confidence in the Lord. And we can follow in trust wherever it takes us. Maybe to Nineveh. Go where God sends you. Turn from sin. Turn to Christ. Follow Jesus. Not just for 40 days, but every day. Amen.